Okay, you ready to start this show? Uh, your host of the evening is a really funny dude. Um, I forgot his last name, but I've seen him before, and he's really funny. Uh, give it up for Mike. Oh, Coming to you live on tape from the lucky 13th floor of a commercial high-rise in beautiful Beverly Hills, adjacent California. From the studios of Sirius XM West, boasting an obstructed view of the world-famous Hollywood sign. This is The Tully Show. I am your host, Mike Tully. Joining me today, they are comedians, they are TV hosts, they are twins, and they have a new comedic audio documentary series on Audible entitled Sklars and Stripes. Hello and welcome, Randy and Jason Sklar. What's up, Mike? How are you? How are you? I'm great. Um, I started doing this show a little over a year ago, and you two were on my initial guest wish list. Really? That's so nice. That's so cool. Thank you. Uh, Reason being... Well, for a lot of reasons, but, and I told one of you this before I met you a few years ago, Mm. only once in my life have I ever sent a letter to a TV network. (laughs) And do you have that letter? By the way, that is a lot of commitment. Well, it was an email. All right. Still, I count it. Electronic mail. And it was because I was a really big fan of uh, Cheap Seats on ESPN Classic. And it was when they added the studio audience. We can talk all about that. We were uh, upset about that. And I wrote to them and I said... I think it's cool that you are doing it because it's telling me that you are invested in the show and you want to help it grow, Mm -hmm. but you've made a bad creative decision in trying to support it because it loses so much of the intimacy of what you guys are doing. Couldn't agree more. Couldn't agree more. So when they came to us and said, we want to add an audience to this, we said, why? Right. That's not what this show is. It was you're, a mystery science theater yeah, style. Yeah, and you're hanging out with us, and everyone felt like they were just were just hanging out with you, and then suddenly you had an audience, and there's a whole other thing. And, and who thought, are you doing this for? Are you doing it for the crowd in the room? Are you? Do-? And then they were like, they didn't have the capacity to put 100 people in, and they couldn't get a bunch of people, so it was like a 20-person audience. So then it's like an early Daily Show kind of vibe. Yeah, yeah. And, which by the way, we love the Daily Show, and in... In adding the audience, we were able to get John Glazer, who's an amazing comedian and and writer and actor, to come on and help be like the head writer of this thing. And Mike Birbiglia came and he was our warm up guy, which is crazy. And we and Patrick Borelli, who's a great writer, he joined the staff. And so we were able to get that. And then we kind of said to them this. We felt the same way as you. And we're like, our fans are not going to be happy. And so for six episodes, it was really tough. And we took all the letters from everybody like you and emails and stuff, printed them out and said, this is what people are saying, that it's you're altering what this show is. So will you please let us go back and re-edit it so that there's no laughter during the game footage? And they said yes. So the only audience stuff would be on camera. That was number one. And number two, we said, you, we have to stop doing the audience and we you have to let us do this. And literally, we didn't have a leg to stand on. It's their network. It's their show. They could say whatever. And they said, okay. They said, okay. I couldn't believe they caved in that moment. I'd and like so to think my letter had a lot to do Your letter had everything to do with <laughs> you it. You tipped the balance on the scale. And and uh, then we got to do two more seasons yeah, of it. Yeah, we did two more seasons of it, in, it was, or a season and a half more, and it was just, we were so happy. It was fun. And then you continue to do this 
sports thing in many venues, but you have the the podcast view from view from the cheap, cheap seats. seats, which we thought we wanted to harken back to it because every week stuff happens in the world of sports, and we're like, well, I think we can give our take on it in a way that maybe you're not hearing out there. Right? You know, you watched the NFL draft last week, but do you think the, about the NFL draft the way we do, especially watching the Cleveland Browns pick first? Cleveland Browns are like Jennifer Aniston, like everybody they. Everyone's pick, watching you their pick, choices. Right. You can pick anyone you want. She can pick anyone she wants, but everyone's watching going like, how is she going to screw up and pick the wrong guy? Right. Will she ever get a baby? Will Never. she ever get a which, baby? Which, will which they we, ever which, get a will ring? Will they ever get a ring? Which we have decided is the thing that she needs to be happy. Will they ever get a ring? Yeah. And in all likelihood, no, and a they, baby. No, they will, will any of them ever get a ring? We don't will know. Aniston get, get a ring? ring? Will, will they, they ever get, get a ring? ring? That's the question. And so The race is kind of on. You're right. You're like, who's going to get a ring first? The Browns or Jennifer Aniston? And we don't know. And so, like, that's our take on it, and that's probably not the take you're going to hear from Colin Cowherd or those guys on the radio. And yet, it's fine. They do what they do, and they're great in their lane, but no one really, you know, is trying to approach it from... See, the reason why I think Cheap Seats spoke to you, whether you're a sports fan or not, was that we set out not to create a show that people are like, I like this show, and I also like the sports center and I like around the horn no we want to create a show that people are like I like this show and I like the daily show and I like arrested development and I like Conan though we wanted someone to be like those are the shows I like and put us in the same conversation as a comedy show that was our goal whether that happened it's not up to us to determine no but I think it may have and I think you know you know when it gets chronicled by things like the onion uh, you know something that we respect you know the onions AV club and and when they go back and talk about episodes of the show and things like that then you say okay well at least we we tried and I think we went in the right direction with the show to try and actually create a comedy first with sports as the backdrop instead of doing a show about sports that was kind of funny. When sports shows sports shows try to do comedy, it is inevitably horrible. Terrible. Because athletes mean, aren't funny and neither are most sportscasters. And I guess they assume, and maybe correctly, that a lot of mainstream sports fans have terrible senses of humor themselves. And they do. So it becomes the new country of comedy. <laughs> it's this yeah. lowest common denominator, yeah. a hook that kind of worked 15 years ago is being recycled with Michael Strahan. That's, it's, yeah, like absolutely. put Michael Strahan in a dress and that'll be hilarious. And it's like, um, no. Yeah. It's not hilarious. It's, you know. Michael Strahan is a personable guy. I actually like listening to him talk yep. and analyze. Like if football. I was Michael, Michael Strahan, I would put I would do like a tiny sketch of like two little things living in the gap of his teeth. Right. Now then now you have like a whole two tiny little particles or of food that a got a real estate in agent in New York who's trying to sell a couple on living between Michael, Michael Strahan's teeth. That okay. but now, have, you, have you seen what people are paying for studio apartments? Have you considered if the we gap could get in- Ryan what's his name from Million Dollar Listing New York to like come in and, and try and, and sell you on living in between Michael Strahan's teeth. Well, now you're into a comedy sketch that's actually saying things about real estate, that's saying things about New York. Dental hygiene. I mean, all sorts of things. Distance, you know, things like that. You know, you could build a wall in there and get two bedrooms. Whatever you want to say, you know. Put another tooth in there. (laughs) Put another tooth in there in the back. Uh, Look, it's the kind of thing where Randy and I are like, what's the angle that you haven't thought of? And that's where we want to live. And so, yeah, that and that's why I think Cheap Seats resonated with so many people. The other thing is that Cheap Seats was on ESPN, and they really didn't let us go as edgy as we wanted to. So we had to make the show weirder. Which the end result is, it was a show that younger and older people could. So all the jokes for the people who you know, comedy nerds and whatnot, they got it. But for the younger folks, it just went over their heads. So this was a show that many people, you know, was on ten years ago, twelve years ago. People said, uh, "I watched this with my dad." Watched with my dad. 
I watched it with my mom. My mom and dad, we watched it together. We were I was a teenager and you know, now I'm twenty five, but like I could be ten and watch the show. See, I've never had that experience. You guys are, are dads and you can share I know you have mainly daughters, but you can share that with your with your kids. My dad was not a sports guy in right. in the in the slightest. And I find it interesting on your podcast if unless I'm wrong, I feel like often you have guests who are comics who are uh, who follow sports but like i'm picking like jake weissman was a name that yeah, grabbed me yeah. is he a sports fan he doesn't strike big, me as, oh yeah, really okay. he is a big sports fan and, yeah. and 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 you know james davis is another one who was a big sports fan max greenfield is like a humongous scott rogowski who was our producer on scholars and stripes the thing we did for audible uh enormous mets fan and his rise scott's rise within hq trivia has allowed him access he went to the mets opening day and brought his dad to that game and talked about how special that was to have his talked dad. about how his dad stood next to Dave Winfield who's a famous Yankee for a guy who literally was recruited in three sports back in the 70s he was recruited to play basketball because he's, he's like six, six, eight. six yeah. yeah six at basketball football as a tight end and then baseball and he wound up playing with the Padres and mm-hmm. then ultimately the Yankees and he said my dad is like wait, 69 maybe, no, 69 Dave Winfield 66 and my dad stood next to Dave Winfield and, I, and he was like I think my dad's in better shape than Dave Winfield my <laughs> Jewish dad is is in better shape than Dave Winfield. And that to him was a And to hear that story on our podcast is great because, again, yes, it's a story about sports and it helps to know who Dave Winfield is, but he's very Googleable. Uh, it's really a story about dads and yeah. it's yeah. a story about your kid. Your, I mean, to me, it's the tortoise and the hare, you know? Winfield, yeah. at a certain point, I'm guessing, had an edge on his father. Oh, oh my God. Winfield was Winfield an Adonis was back in the day. But you keep going to the Y and you, right. eat, and you eat your muslicks. The Y, the J. The J. The, J, the, J, the Jewish version of the Jewish community center. But yeah, absolutely. But we've had like Bob Costas on the show. And Ozzy Smith, Ozzy Smith, former uh, Hall of Fame shortstop for the Cardinals, we talked to him. Of course, just fun, you know. Again, getting into it in in the ways that we like to get into it in the same sort of vein that we took it for uh, cheap seats. It's just such an underserved thing. I feel yeah. like Bill Simmons sort of pioneered that, largely because right place, right time. He was when totally. the internet was exploding. T- uh-huh. t- all credit where credit is due but because great there was writer room for people to do that he's a tremendous writer and he and, definitely and he was the guy you writing. wanted to hear from as boston broke the curse it was sort of like <laughs> internet big boston mm-hmm. breaking the curse espn kind of going online and he's the guy at the very tip of it all it was I like know. a per- it was a perfect storm i read the i bought the book and i read it right up to uh, game four and i'd already read all of that it was hilarious as a yankees fan it was great for me to watch him until they actually did it mm-hmm. and then i literally read the book and then like dave roberts took his lead and I was like yeah I'm 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 done done. I'm out finished (laughs) finished you just turn on enter Sandman and you're like imagining Mario Rivera coming in do 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 I'm getting out of here we've got a three a lead and a lead I'm pretty and we have the greatest closer of all time we're at home I'm just gonna assume we won another World Series (laughs) are you excited about the Yankees now sort of like the idea of potentially sort of home growing some you know kind of like back in the day I don't know what back in the day was. You mean when they used to buy people from the Kansas City Royals well, in 1961? No, no, no. no. Back 90, in the days when we were there. Okay, when they did the, New York the core in 90, four. Exactly. The core four was really kind of homegrown in, yeah. in many ways. And I remember being there because we lived in New York. It was amazing is when they won the World Series, I remember being like in Midtown Manhattan where we lived. And it was just people pouring in the street jam packed people excited then we went down to the Lower East Side where we had a stand up show we had a stand up show and then we went to like a bar on 5th between A and B the Ace Bar and we went down there I love that bar love that bar and it was as if 
nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. Like a regular. If you're in night. any other city, if you're in Kansas City when Kansas City wins or Chicago Everything shuts when down. the Cubs win, every single place, hipster yeah. or not, suburbia is going off. Is going crazy. They're yeah. going off. But that to he, us, was fascinating that like there were the parts part. of the city that didn't even know that anything was going on. Oh, I don't even think you need to go that far now. The Knicks haven't been um, good for a long time, but I feel like the Knicks could win a championship and you wouldn't know on like 29th Street. <laughs> yeah, four blocks, five blocks away. away yeah. Yeah. yeah, five blocks away. You're you're screwed. Yeah. I mean, that is that is amazing. One time I went to my wife took me to a Knicks game back in the time. She was my girlfriend at the time, and she got me tickets, and we were sitting like way up in the nosebleeds. Okay, in the cheap seats, we were up in like the second to the last row in the up, upper section, and a guy with a clipboard starts coming around, and he stops at me, and he says. Do you want this? Is like before we had our MTV show, before anything really, before we've been on TV. It's like, do you want to shoot at something like uh, between the first and second quarter on the court? And I was like, oh my God, am I dying in six months? Because am I a make a wish kid? I have no idea. And he, I was like, okay. So they bring me down. I come down. And right as I get down there, the sh- Chris Childs mm-hmm. on the Knicks, talented point guard, hits a half court bank shot to end the half. <laughs> and the place is going nuts. So I get out there and like Kevin Bacon's sitting courtside and Woody Allen is sitting there and Chris Rock. I mean, there's all these people that are down there. It's, it's amazing. They're like, okay, you have to. I'm wearing the T-shirt that they gave me, like the white T-shirt with a little Knicks T-shirt, and like double XL khaki pants, like way big, exactly. Like I am a Hanes, like a Hanes shirt that like like a way up my neck. I'm like, what is a mock turtleneck? Back when they made T-shirts that were like that, uncomfortable, uncomfortable. So I have to go to the line and you shoot three free throws worth one point apiece. Then you got to shoot on two college three-pointers worth two points apiece, and then two pro three-pointers worth three points apiece. If you total seven points within a certain amount of time, you get to shoot a half-court shot, and if you make that, you win $77,777. It's impossible. It's it very like, con- very convoluted, and yet I'm very excited okay, for it. Okay, by the way, this is more com- complicated than like the refinance of my house. Okay, <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what? who am I? Am I talking to a broker when I do this? So I get up. And it is very daunting. There's a glass backboard. People are behind it. They feel it looks closer and feels closer than it is. And all I'm saying to myself is, do not airball. You can't airball a a free throw. So I dribble twice. First shot, free throw, swish. Beautiful. I'm like, this is it. I made a free throw at the garden. Second shot off the front of the rim, backboard, and in. I got two in a row, and the crowd Crowd. getting up. Crowd is getting up. You've got two points. I got two points. I only had two points. (laughs) Third shot. Okay, free three free throws. You name me a pro. The pros can't hit the free throws this way. Third shot, swish in three free throws. Crowd is up. They are excited. I go over to the college three pointer off the rim and out, off the rim and out. I go to the, you know, pro three pointer off the rim and out, off the rim and out. I get booed. Like that was classic exact, garden. Classic garden. I was up. Then I was down, mm-hmm. and, they, and I and leave. They, they hated and this you. is the early days of cell phones. This is like 98. Six. 98. This is 98. So it would have been after we did the MTV show. Oh, yeah. Maybe it was 97. 96, 97. All right? Because I was with Amy. So right. it was like 97. Were they so still think... running the ball through Patrick Ewing on the block? Oh, yeah. I, I think this was oh, like. I, no, I think this was like the Marcus Larry Camby, Johnson. Larry Johnson. Marcus Spreewell. Camby, Spreewell, yeah, Allen Houston years. And so, and Jay, you got phone. You're at home. Someone called me at home and was like, hey, tell your brother to bend his knees when he's shooting free throws <laughs> at the garden. I was like, what? And and so I, the best thing is they there was a professional photographer who takes a picture of you as you're 
after shooting the free throw. I'm like, this picture, this picture I'm going to have for the rest of my life at the garden shooting a free throw with fans behind me. And a few months later, I get a, a envelope I'd sent to our address with no return address, no number, no nothing, just like a little picture of a basketball. And I think it said Nick's. Nick's. I think it was the Nick's logo. And I open up the picture. I'm like, oh my God, this is the picture, the picture of me. I open it up. I pull it out. It's a picture of some other guy. I'm like, are you kidding me? Some and also, other guy. in those days, no recourse. No recourse. I no way to like reach yeah. anyone. No, no like, you no. just call Phil Mushnick and see if he'll get angry about it in the just post. Call James Dolan and tell him not to be in a blues band. <laughs> That's it. That's all you can do. So I want to talk to you about Sklar's in Stripes, which is uh, free with an Audible 30-day trial and available to premium Audible members. This is not just a comedy special. This is an audio documentary. And it seems like you kind of turned, correct me if I'm wrong, lemons into lemonade. You have to travel to go and do stand-up shows, so you're kind of going to be there anyway. But has this always been your thing that you do try to put in a little legwork and personalize? And when you say a couple of minutes, a couple of minutes is a real thing in stand-up, not like a joke, like, man, I was just at the intersection of uh, arson and stab, you know? (laughs) (laughs) He knows us. He's been there. That street sucks. That street is dangerous. It. They got it. That's dangerous. Um, no, yes, we did actually. We used to, so we would always try to do maybe like three or four minutes, which actually is a lot. That it means is. you got to experience the town. You got to ask people about it. You got to learn a few things. As a way town. to like ease into our set so mm-hmm. that we don't just come right out and start into our material. We're like, we're going to be up here for an hour. Let's... Let's He's see if in. we can. And it's always like, you know, it's a great moment. I, As a comedian, you know, like when you, you could be having the worst day ever. You could get horrible news about work. You could be fighting with your spouse or your kids can be really crappy to you. If you come up on stage at the end of that day with like two or three minutes of new material and it works, it erases everything. It's you feel great. You Because it, it is one of the few things that we have control over in this crazy business. So for us to be able to have new material that we can try out in a town, it, felt, it always felt great. So we always did a little bit of that. But then, you know, we did a pilot for the travel channel kind of based on this thing and it aired, but it was a little too edgy for the travel channel. And then audible who shot our standup special hipster ghost, which is actually, uh, premiering on stars uh it already premiered this past week it'll be on stars comedy i think tonight or saturday night at 8 p.m and tonight, uh, yeah 11 p.m 11 p.m uh, it's also on the stars app so they recorded that they filmed that special for us last uh february february in chicago at lincoln hall and they said what what would you guys do if you want to do a documentary and we thought you know an audio doc or an audio book six plus hours can you guys think of something and we were like i think it would be neat to do 10 cities of this 30 40 minutes of you know us going to a city we we land on thursday the challenge is can you write 10 minutes of comedy about this town by saturday night 10 that's a huge 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 it just means you got to you got to get out and experience it. You can't just sit in your hotel room. You can't read about it. You'll research about what the town is going through, but then you'll talk to people. Hey, is this is this bothering you? Or how come there's no Uber in Buffalo? Well, there's no Uber in Buffalo because just people enjoy people driving People just drive drunk. drunk in Buffalo. Everyone's oh. weaving at the same time. And so, so we're like, wait, so a drunk driver killed Uber? In, Essentially. Uh, <laughs> now I think it's there, but when we did it, this was like a long, long time ago. But so on this current, on this 10-city tour, we were like, all right, can we do this? Can, what's the challenge in each city? Because there's a challenge in each city. Like Portland is a great open-minded city, maybe a little too liberal in certain areas. 
also Portlandia has basically done what you're going to do to try and do for eight seasons. So you have to climb the Portlandia mountain, which is larger than Mount Hood, and then try and say, is there any stone left unturned? And of course there were. It was fascinating. We found a ton of stuff. But San Francisco, you're like, what is San Francisco dealing with right now? And it's kind of been around forever. And you're like, wait a minute, tech and the tech companies and rich people who are in tech are, have basically priced everything that was cool about San Francisco out of the city. Yes, you have these brilliant man babies. Or just tech, or worse, bros. Tech, tech bros. Like guys just oh, wearing God. tons of Under Armour like, dude, I'm killing it, bro. You're killing it, dude. I'm crushing, I'm crushing life, bro. Are, everything they, are that, they life hacking? Yeah. I'm life hacking, I'm crushing <laughs> life. Like I remember everything Pass you the loved. Yeah. yeah, everything you, <laughs> everything you loved about San Francisco that was creative and great, we're killing we're it, We're crushing bro. it. <laughs> so that, I mean, that was what it is. And, and hey, Denver, weed is legal in Denver, which is awesome. But then you're like, what's the downside of that? What's what's the weird side? And and we sort of dug into that. So it was fascinating. It wound up being three documentaries in one that we went into. Number one, what's it like to be in these cities right now in 2017? Number two, what's it like to be comedians at our level? Hey, have you ever wondered what it's like to go on the road and be a stand-up comedian? This really tells you what it's all about, and every chapter gives you an idea. And number three, how does an observation in the moment then turn into a joke, then turn into a bit between the two of us, and then you yeah. hear it on stage? Well, in particular, how do you, how do you guys write? Because it's different. You're a comedy team. So someone Usually someone comes up with a bit of an idea, and if it makes us laugh, we start to improvise and riff on it. And then we try to find the angle in of how can we both participate in it and make it fun together. Yeah, what is Would you that? do this in a hotel room? We yeah. do it in the hotel room, but I don't think we do it as, I think what, what what happened is we started doing it more at locations and out at restaurants. And, you know, like we were in Bloomington and there was uh, at this Mama Bear pizza restaurant and the the depiction of the, of the bear on the menu was the most sexualized thing we've ever seen in our lives. Like a one, just a bear with huge breasts and, and it's like in a loose dress and you're like well they said it was a mother right mama bear I guess I mean Mike Pence calls his wife mama uh, I guess that was but it was one of those moments where we're like should like 12 year old boys be taking the menu into the bathroom uh, you shouldn't go in hungry and come out horny and we started just making jokes at the table about it and we're like maybe there is something in this mm-hmm. and the more we started riffing all those jokes came with us on stage and it really so, it so your Burger King ads actually kind of replicate your comedic method yeah a the, little the Burger King ad was all improvised all improvised they said just go and uh-huh. we started talking and I remember we just went to these weird long riffs we're like they'll never use this and then they cut part of it out and they're like this is it that's a great gig I could wax rhapsodic about wax uh, rhapsodic about uh, yeah. about Whoppers with Cheese it was a good time that was actually really fun and I love the director of that but the last documentary that kind of emerged from the Scholars and Stripes things is that the first weekend we did was the weekend after the election in San Diego so election happens on Tuesday on Thursday we go down to San Diego and we are like a raw nerve. San Diego is this place that's got milita- military, ex-military, rich white people who are kind of lean one way and then a bunch of Mexicans who are like, we're going to get deported or our family members are going to go. We're scared. So we're like, can we even do comedy in that? That was the challenge there. I wouldn't have thought of that. That's a real tough city. You're right, because the military thing is is really in your face, as it should be. It's yeah, it should, the- but it wound up, there, there are a lot of really, you know, there are a lot of great open-minded folk down in, in San Diego and it's a wonderful, it's California, but 
it was fascinating. We we're like, how can we overcome this? So then what happened in the next year or 13 months that we did this? This so It's the most polarizing year we can ever remember in our lives. In our country, Unless basically. you were doing comedy during the Nixon era, I think that's safe to say for everybody. But even the Nixon era, the, the thing is that the people who like Nixon generally were older and probably weren't out going and seeing certain types of comedy. Oh, interesting, yeah. You know, I think you have people who are heated and younger and just who hated Hillary and who hated Obama and who really are like Trump's the way and you know it's it's intense and to a point because of the sort of tenor that Trump has laid out and the way he's tweeting and yelling at people people think it's okay to just be abrasive and and inappropriate with people and so everyone's like I don't want to even deal with the people on the other side so everyone retreated to their bubbles but when you're a comedian you get a job you got to go to Tulsa Oklahoma you got to go to Kansas City you got to go to St. Louis you got to go to Houston. So we went to a lot of red cities and red states, blue cities and red states, blue cities and blue states, and then purple cities. So we were all over the map and we saw the country. You basically saw the country as it was being ripped in half through the eyes of comedians who were trying to make people laugh based on what they're experiencing. So like the what was going on in the world and our country could it made its way in. So it's a crazy timestamp on this year of 2017. And once that aspect of the documentary happened, we're like, oh, this actually might be a really important and cool thing. Did you find the nation, because I've talked to a couple of touring comics who say that they don't find America to be quite as divided as at least social media and the traditional media would lead us to believe because most people are like... Yeah, Trump's a piece of shit, but here's why I like him. And you know, I held my nose and held for and voted for Hillary. Whereas you see the real yeah. arch polarization online. I think there is. Yes, I think there is a little bit more that people sort of gravitate a little bit more towards the center, but there's still anger out there. Like, yeah, I mean, you say. I think there used to be a time where you'd make a joke or something like that, and and no one in the crowd would say anything. They would just maybe like bristle and silently to themselves. Yeah. Now people will actually say something like not funny or whatever. They'll, they'll speak up because they feel emboldened to be able to do that. And you're like, um, would you do that at the symphony? If someone uh, played something, would you like heckle? Or played an anti-Trump piece at the symphony? Oh, just by playing classical music, you're playing anti-Trump. Like if someone... I think it would be pretty brutal if they played a, if somebody debuted a pro-Trump piece yeah. at the, the Met in right. New York. Yeah, you'd probably have it's some like all trumpets. Uh, trumps. <laughs> uh, but no, but it is one of those things where you, where it, yes, I, I do think what we found and what we believe is that if you can make everybody laugh at the same, if you can find things like we found in this local humor and really draw people together and laugh in a room collectively, even if they have different views, then we're showing them by example that we all do have some common ground. Yeah, we sure. are comedy is a way to show that you have some common ground. If you if you have totally different political views and you're sitting in one room and we're all laughing together about something that we came up with about their town. That, that felt good. And yeah. so we actually pulled six minutes out of each chapter and made a comedy album called Sklars and Stripes, the tour tapes, which is available on iTunes. But we're like, and just each track is named the city. So it's oh, perfect. 10 tracks. You got Tulsa, Kansas City, St. Louis, Madison. It's oh, really I like fun. that. Yeah. Thanks. So by the by, I've been trying to avoid talking about the Michelle Wolf thing, but let's just say if you were going to be at the White House Correspondents Dinner and somebody just handed you the jokes that she did and said, hey, go up there and do those. How do you think you would have felt about it? Proud. it? Proud. They're amazing jokes. I thought her jokes were hilarious. I'm like, really? You guys... The, the the whole point of the correspondence, it's like a roast. Is and it? I guess that's my only question. Is has it? I know that Colbert went, you know, brought the heat one time, but is it is it generally a roast yeah. kind of thing? Well, because and here's the thing: the fact that Trump wasn't there 
is what makes it seem so one-sided and quote-unquote unfair because and what he and by not being there he shows that he is a wuss of a bully because if you can't sit there and take some shots from a comedian one night and then what people forget is that the second half of that is they get to get up and actually take their shots around the room too and you have great writers who write for you hopefully and you take some solid shots and you get your skin in the game so that when you participate everyone's like oh yeah like remember when Bush got up and made some jokes at his own expense at some other people's expense and Laura Bush yeah all of them I mean everybody gets to get up in that night and they get to well there's a a feeling of togetherness even though they're attacking each other in a comedic way there's a feeling of togetherness and by the way what she said about Sarah Sanders was was, in my opinion, other than the Uncle Tom line, which I thought was actually hilarious, funny, and it was ultimately became a rip on Ann Coulter. Uh, I didn't think it was that bad. I really she didn't no, make no, fun no, of no. her appearance, and I think that was that's what was weird. People who didn't actually pay attention to what she said were like, she attacked the way she looked, and she attacked da da da, da and this is a she didn't. She actually gave her a compliment. She said, "You burn facts and turn them into the perfect smoky eye." Yeah. That is not that is not a rip on her appearance. But what it is is she is a white she is a white woman. She does feel let down by that woman. She's allowed to say that that you you are letting me down as a white woman. And I think she's young. She's only 32 years old. The fact that she stood up on that stage she and did what it. she did and I crushed it like, at 32. Amen. Yeah, that is huge. And to me, if you, you can't suddenly be upset by the tone that she used when the president of the United States set this tone for a year and a half through tweets and speeches and things that he said. And rallies. And rallies. Yep. like. And, and all the campaigning, the love of the campaign, the name calling and the things that he did for all the people that were that are in his way that he doesn't like, you can't suddenly be like, well, she doesn't get to do that. No, he set the tone. I believe that if he would have been a more reserved type person, then someone like her might not have been asked to go in with that. And if, and if he would have showed up, then I think it might have been a di- slightly different tenor for the evening but because he has been the way he has and because he chose not to show up for the second year row by the way the only other president who didn't show up for the Ronald Reagan because he was recovering from an assassination yeah. in well it can't be surprising he didn't show up he's been demonizing the press I mean, yeah. pretty literally yeah. so that true but like surprised. to me if you're yeah. demonizing the press then get some great jokes written about you and stand on stage at the end of the night and yeah. rip CNN <laughs> and rip MSNBC and rip everybody well it, I feel like Almost inevitably, when things become big stories, the detail that I find most interesting gets lost in the sauce. And uh, Comey, one of the little grace notes of all the shit that came out of him, he said he never saw Donald Trump laugh once. Yeah, by the way, that's a very interesting personal. Never insight. seen him laugh. Never seen him say "I'm sorry" or "I was wrong." Yeah, that can't right. get with that. I mean, it's it, can't look, get with that. He he, he that's is just stupid. That's like Pete Rose saying, "I only gamble. I I gambled on my team to win." So you you bet on your team to win. So did you bet on all 162 games? Because uh, you, no, no team, team has ever gone 162 and 0. Well, You're no, that's exactly what he did. Is he didn't bet on his team when Mario Soto was pitching, which is saying. a pretty clear right. So uh, when you don't, so when you don't bet on the team, then that means you don't think that you're going to win. So it's just that that whole thing to me is yeah. like again, you 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 have to admit that nobody's right all the time. Nobody. Yeah. Nobody. You have to admit that you're wrong, and you have to be able to take it. You know, to me, anytime we've been in roast and we've done the roast battle 
and you know you get roasted back and you roast people it is like the most flattering thing in the world for someone to roast you because you say oh my god you took the time to get to know something about us and mm-hmm. then ripped it in the most creative way ever you can't take it personally you're no. like that's amazing and to me Trump's also say putting out there the fact that he has no confidence in himself to be able to go up and deliver that's what you're telling me by saying I'm not going yeah, I also just think that it's so crazy. People got focused on the Sarah Sanders yeah, stuff, which is not even yeah the smoky eyes. Like that's great joke, phenomenal um, joke. I mean, the abortion stuff was if you want to like, like okay, well, wow, I don't know if this is really the place for like right to not just say tip tap dance on abortion to really yeah. go hard on abortion. She went after it. She went. Yeah, after she it. went after it. She which after, she, I'm always like, and look, if you if you want to say okay, maybe she crossed the line for an audience that's not a comedy audience, then that would be the moment that I would say, all right, yeah, you know, look, we know that she's not encouraging you to bump an elbow to like knock a baby out. Like, obviously she's not doing that. She's doing it for comedic effect. But however, you can't get mad at the other stuff. You you literally cannot get mad at the other things that she said. She took shots at Democrats. She took shots at everybody. Yeah, she went, she went Chappaquiddick. She did. She, went <laughs> she did. That's got to be worth something. Yeah. She did. Uh, thank you, guys. I have to let you go. Um, I'm so happy to finally get this opportunity to talk to you. This what is a great so fun. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much for having us on the show. And I I think people who listen to your show will absolutely love Sklars and Stripes and, and Hipster, Hipster Ghosts, Ghost. which is on, I think if this drops on Saturday, it's on tonight at 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Stars Comedy. Right. Starts Comedy. And uh, yeah, Sklars and Stripes on Audible, 340. Uh, 30-day free trial or premium members. You're at Sklar Brothers. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Welcome back to what has turned out to be a uh, sports-themed episode of The Tully Show. We are speaking to the Sklar Brothers, who, among their many other endeavors, have their view from the Cheap Seats podcast. And now we are joined once again for... An NBA playoffs round two check-in uh, with Andrew Gruss. And I think what we've said the prior times we've talked to NBA is we've been super light on the Western Conference. Yeah. But the Western Conference in the playoffs had two pretty big upsets, I would say, in the first round. So if we wanted to start there, okay, we can talk Utah over Oklahoma City yeah. and then New Orleans over Portland. Right. Um, I don't believe we made formal predictions when we previewed the first round and if we did I don't remember what I said but I feel like I did okay I feel like you I think we came to the conclusion you might have been like a Houston Philly or Houston Toronto I did and I think I was Warriors Cleveland Wizards (laughs) oh yeah I mean I wanted the Wizards but once again they can't get along on the court or off the court and therefore they lost in the first round yeah what's the difference between the Raptors and the Wizards Chemistry. I, I think the thing is, you could blow up the Raptors if you wanted to. Yeah, it's going to be a tough off season for the Wizards. I keep pining for a Demarcus Cousins, even on one leg trade coming to the Wizards. Because if you're New Orleans, you made it to the second round already. Yep. Can you sign a big dude, uh, upper two hundred pounds, seven foot, Achilles tendon injury? Those those guys don't come back from that injury, and right. New Orleans looks good. Drew Holiday's yeah. been amazing, and and Anthony Davis is great. And I don't know what DeMarcus... I don't think you add DeMarcus to the series against the Warriors that they win. So I don't know if you what you do if you're the, the Pelicans. Right, but they don't get to trade him, right? He's an unrestricted free agent. So that means you would have uh, given up Buddy Held for nothing. 
He's 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 a good sixth or seventh man off yeah. the bench for a up and coming Kings team right. under Vladdy's reign. Uh, <laughs> but we'll see what happens with them. The word "reign" has a very evil tinge when you put it after a guy named Vlade. That's true. It's fair <laughs> enough. But they're gonna kind of reexamine the let's play four on five defense and have that cherry picker uh, offense that the owner uh, was interested in a couple years ago. But if you're the Warriors, yeah. they looked. So, Steph Curry came off the bench game two, looked great. Mm-hmm. He's now starting game three. Expect four-game four sweep, maybe five, if New Orleans takes it, but I don't think they have a chance. The it's other what, It's side, whatever the Warriors want it to be, basically. Yeah, exactly. The other side of the, the Western Conference bracket looks incredibly interesting, especially after what happened in game two of the Jazz Rockets series. Uh, what? Oh, the Jazz won, didn't they? Yeah, and it... It looked from from watching that game, Donovan Mitchell's been amazing. Yes, and they don't have Rubio back, but Dante Exum, the Australian point guard from a couple years ago, has had terrible injuries, played incredibly well, and really strong defense on Harden, and he pressed Harden the entire game, and so when Harden drove, Rudy Gobert was right there, and it seemed to he 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 made a bunch of shots. But it did at least seem to affect him, and it definitely affected Chris Paul's drives. Well, definitely, like, the superstar thing is not so much about, as they say, you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. Try to make him take really, really difficult stuff, make it hard for him to find a rhythm, make it hard for all of the other ripple things that happen. Like, when he gets in um, a groove, then the defense becomes that much more magnetized to him, which opens up shooters and stuff like that. Like, him scoring is not... You, you can you could totally win that series with James Harden scoring 30 a game. Yeah, let him get 60 if he's going to have the ball and his usage rate is off the charts, like that's fine. You don't get Eric Gordon, you don't get Anderson, you don't get Tucker involved in the game, and they didn't seem to be that involved in the game last night. So that's an interesting series. And if guys like Joe Ingles are going to hit a ton of three-pointers jumping one inch off the ground, mm-hmm. who knows what the Jazz, what their ceiling is. And, and people generally think Quinn Snyder is – the second best coach, if not the best coach in the NBA behind Brad Stevens. And so maybe this series goes six or seven games. I, I typically hear Popovich mentioned in that conversation, but sure. But it's they, either Quinn Snyder or Brad Stevens. The, but the pop hate is coming. The number of articles that are coming out now about Kawhi and how he's dealing with that situation, I've heard a number of people refer to him as Bill Belichick in the NBA. How's that? In that, what happened in the in the Super Bowl this year where Malcolm Butler didn't play and Belichick really wouldn't give a reason and just sat him and started lesser guys. Interesting. There is a concern that Pop is now sick of dealing with what he perceives as nonsense from Kawhi and Kawhi's team and therefore is kind of shutting him out. Okay, what was... I, I don't recall, nor would I necessarily expect any of the Patriots going on the record and saying that's fucked up, Butler should have been here. What was their reaction? Because I felt like Pop has never lost the rest of the Spurs locker room. They've been very vocally supportive of his side of this. Patriots that have signed contracts with different teams have been critical okay. of th- this offseason. Yeah. They've been critical of that. and say it was never explained to us why one of our top two corners didn't get off the bench. See, there, were, super... there were a ton of rumors about him yeah, in well, terms what of the rumors? curfew, weed, girls, things like that, but Awful. nothing substantiated. You call yourself a professional. <laughs> yeah, come on, it's Super Bowl week. Uh, but nothing was substantiated, and Belichick never gave an answer. And and there have been comparisons that pop when he's just saying, yeah, you're going to have to talk to Kawhi's team. 
do the reporters does do the public deserve more of an answer? Because we think Pop probably knows more. Yeah, but he's just kind of shoving all the responsibility onto Kawhi and his yeah. ultimately his uncle, who's now kind of emerged as his agent, the bad guy. Yeah, yeah. you know, every analogy breaks down at a certain point because no two things are ever exactly the same, particularly where people are concerned. The difference to me does seem to be that you're saying the Patriots players kind of still maybe don't know what happened. And if they know what it was, it was weed and girls and curfew. And they all go, yeah, that's fucked up, but I would have preferred to win a Super Bowl. I still feel like the Spurs players have a pretty good idea of what's going on. And they are fairly unanimous in that you can't, it's tough because there's no blueprint in the NBA for Frankly, it's a lot like our president when you know when when your president just constantly plays. No, you are. When you saw it with the the Spurs players, notably Tony and Manu, saying Tony in particular, like I had an injury a hundred times worse, and I came back here, mm-hmm. and so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Did Kawhi say anything? I guess you really can't. About my wife and I had an in depth conversation about what you do if you're Kawhi when you find out that Pop's wife passed. So supposedly, I, Ramona Shelburne was one of two writers that wrote a, a really good long article on ESPN.com about yeah, I gotta this, read and that. and she said that Pop and Kawhi continue to correspond over text. Kawhi, though, when approached by Ramona, started to kind of talk and have a friendly conversation. Spurs officials hurried over, ended the interview right away. That's odd. They, it's it's a secretive organization and and i think the one quote that Kawhi has in the article was that this organization has been here for decades they will continue to be here i'm the new guy therefore i get cast as the problem it's not very new seven eight years (laughs) but compared to duncan with 20 and guys like avery johnson and david robinson seven eight years is probably makes you the leading voice in any other locker room in the nba you're not the new guy not the new guy but tony and manu are still there right but the culture didn't turn over since you've been there but yeah the spurs i mean the loss that was unfortunate to to see them and it's hard to see them returning back to a top four seed in the in the west but for sure so so i predicted that they would beat the warriors which was it was wrong right Uh, (laughs) although they look competitive in a couple games but what i was really saying was that i i really thought it's a possibility that the warriors were saving you know keeping their powder dry to flip flip the switch and that when they flipped the switch they weren't exactly sure what was what they were going to find there and in that i seem to be totally incorrect it seems like they're going to be just fine so now if you're gonna not to jump ahead but if you're gonna look at a rockets warriors series were we always thinking it was going to be peak warriors against the rockets and it looks like it will be the peak was warriors i the only now. one thinking maybe it wouldn't be peak warriors because iguodala gets a little older livingstone you know things I mean, just def- things things just don't stay the same you definitely had the apprehension of okay you guys are four years into title runs yeah you still think you can flip the switch and just be as good as you were at the end of last and year and you don't have a lebron who's the only person who's demonstrated the physical ability to actually withstand that and perform also nobody talks about this anymore but are they still not testing for hgh in the playoffs as lo- as far as i knew they tested three times during the season three and only three and it was random and you could get all three before the all-star break and it's in the collective bargaining agreement that they cannot test again until next season and i'm it it definitely at least used to be and i think i would have heard about it if it changed that they stop testing your three have to be within the regular season so i think older guys 
tend to really show up in the playoffs. That would be smart. The the drug testing in sports that I heard was the NFL is only allowed one weed test per year. Uh-huh. That began last week. And if you are randomly chosen within the first couple weeks, you're super lucky. You get that test out of the way, and then you can smoke weed the rest of the NFL football year. So that's all I know Uh most recently talked about in terms of like drug use and and professional sports. I'll forget to look this up again. So anybody listening to this, let me know. I'm pretty sure all these guys are on HGH. Would make sense. Why why not? I don't have a problem. Is that really like we don't want these, you know, we don't want Lyle Alzado. We don't want guys who are the heroes of our youth out of somebody Daniel Alzado was their hero, all of a sudden being these shells of men broken down, dying of cancer in their 40s. Nor do we want these men, for their own sake, to die in their 40s. But like little Papa HGH every spring for your $200 million contract and all the glory and women you could possibly want seems like a fair trade. Yeah, I don't have a problem with it. It's not a combat sport. So you're not, while there are injuries, elbows, like Kevin Love clocked. Uh, DeRozan with an elbow in the the last game. He did, and then complained about the foul call yeah. after running the four <laughs> fucking steps with the ball. But that's, you're how not... my, that's how my son plays. It's exactly how my six year old son plays basketball: picks it up, runs four steps, and then hits you. There, yeah. Some NBA players are starting to drive me nuts. Kevin Love, one of them. Steph Curry, another one of them. But mm-hmm. yeah, I don't have a problem with. I, I wouldn't have a problem with a non like combat sport players using whatever means they want to. I mean, hopefully they they live long and fruitful lives, but. Come on, you can jump a couple inches higher and and not get winded. And let's not forget, life doesn't seem to be all that great for these guys once they're out of the league. Shouldn't they enjoy it while they're there? Other than Charles Barkley, he seems to be having a hell of a time. Oh, there's tons of exceptions. There's, yeah. but, but, you know, it was like half the players are broke by the time they're gone. So Absolutely. fucking live it up, buddy. Yeah, so... How about, we, how, about, how about this? We let you take HGH and smoke all the weed you want, but you need to get a savings account. Fair enough. I think Matt Barnes would take that trade. I mean, he did say he was high for every single game in his NBA career. That's awesome. So he's been having a good time, uh, and he's now on some kind of weed initiative. But, uh, yeah, the NBA players, why not kind of push the boundaries of whatever medical science has uh, allowed them to? So let's make sure we get to everything we want to get to. We'll talk about your growing antipathy towards Steph Curry, which I think I, I share. The Rockets are going to beat the Jazz, right? That's the only one that... I mean, the East is a mess. No, the East is not a mess. The East is the most depressing thing I've ever seen. Everything about it plays... Because the Pacers should have won. They had so many opportunities. That's yes. what, that's driving me nuts. Right. And they didn't. And apologies to the fans that we did spend about five seconds on um, on uh, 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 on the Pacers-Cavs series. And it was obviously incredibly competitive. Yeah. And we were, you know, we were wrong there, but the Cavs did still win. And then I really, I still, I still refuse to give up on the Raptors. This is peak, peak Raptors. And this is nadir, nadir LeBron Cavs. Like what, like what would it take? Seriously, what would it take? If, if, if LeBron went out there with a bunch of 12 year olds, could he beat a fully stocked Raptors team? Like, I know they, you know, it's horrible. Not just they lost game one at home, but the way that they lost it. But what? And then the fucking Celtics, the the Celtics, I mean, they're not even the Celtics. Fucking Terry Rozier is going to go to, is going to be able to come back next year knowing he went to an NBA conference finals without everybody plus whoever they're going to add in the offseason plus whoever they're going to draft in the offseason and yet LeBron will still beat him in the conference finals and we will again have 
LeBron James in the finals that where he is not nearly on one of the two best teams in the league? I would hold out. I, I did not think Philadelphia would be able to beat the Cavs if they reach the Eastern Conference Finals. I hope Philadelphia plays Cleveland because I think that's a team that can beat Cleveland now wait, and make it to the finals. Wait, I'm sorry. I'm, I just blacked out for a second there. I thought you just said they can't beat the Cavs and they can't beat the Cavs. I did not beforehand. Oh, I see. Before round one and seeing them dismantle Miami and just basically toy with them mm -hmm. and how much trouble Cleveland had against the Pacers. I was surprised. I mm -hmm. thought Cleveland cakewalk yeah. until they faced the Wizards and then that was going to be tough. But now after seeing how much, uh, how much LeBron put on his back to get that team past the Indiana Pacers, which before the season started was a 12th, 13th, 14th seed in the Eastern Conference. Oladipo, amazing. But other than him, yeah, Turner's fine, whatever. I was amazed. Yeah, they were not good with Paul George, so. Yeah, I, I was amazed that, that Indiana was as good as they were, yet that it took Cleveland seven games to win. The fact that it took Philadelphia five games to beat Miami and – disappointed that they lost game one to Boston. Maybe it's in Boston, next round of the playoffs, give them some stage fright. I hope they win tonight and take over in that series. And and then I would think Philadelphia could beat Cleveland and reach the finals. And mm -hmm. they don't have a chance versus the Warriors. No. But I don't want to see Cleveland. No, I don't think anybody has a chance against, well, we'll get back to the West in a second. I don't think anybody has a chance against whoever comes out of the of the West, but yeah, I just I can't do I can't do any more Cleveland there. The concern I would have for the Raptors is end of the game, your two last shots to win are Van Vliet shooting. Not DeRozan. No, I know. Not Lowry. I know. That would be worrisome in my mind. Now DeRozan so, got bottled up by Tristan Thompson at the hoop, but you gotta force it. You're two feet away. Instead of kicking it out to a guy who's had shoulder problems and sat out two-thirds of the Wizards series. I hate to just subscribe to the conventional wisdom, but it really, really did feel like when it came down to it, LeBron James was going to take shots. And if and I know I'm sort of talking out of both sides of my mouth, but Kyle Korver is a guy, he's been there. He's done it. No, he's not an all-star or a top 10 or a top 20 or a top 50 guy, but... When Kyle Korver has it or when J.R. Smith has it, it's not surprising at all that down the stretch of a really meaningful NBA playoff game that they just be, it becomes LeBron and, and that shooter. For the Raptors, I hate to say it, but it's like, oh, we got 12 guys. It's going to take an army to, be, to beat us, you know, and we have all these guys. And then, but now it's the last four minutes and you have two guys who are great isolation scorers and they're they're taking the 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 uh, you know the pick and passing it to Van Fleet and I don't think that guy's got the stones to take those shots. And the problem is going into the season the criticism was that they ran an iso offense and it was just Lowry and DeRozan. Now they kind of spread the ball around. Once it gets tight it happened a couple times in the Wizards series. They went back to the iso ball, didn't turn out so well for them. What do you do? Mm -hmm. Last 45 seconds of a game against Cleveland down one. Yeah, tied. I'm not saying they didn't try. I saw DeRozan yeah. where the, the the layups got that much more difficult, but I'm not saying I know what they should do. We may just have identified the reason why they can't get past the Cavs may have been just as simple as we all thought it was, which is you can't do a five-man effort in crunch time in the playoffs. You need to rely on elite scorers, and Lowry and DeRozan just don't at that level match up with LeBron and the hot hand, be yeah. it Carver. It, it just might be that simple. 
it's it just seems like a bunch of flawed teams other than I hate to say it the Celtics like you're gonna the Celtics are kind of spursy in the regard of you can beat them if you have more talent but you're gonna have to beat them the, and they're the, deep the, yeah, like the, yeah, even yeah. with like all the injuries they're to, still I know. deep I know. they, they just can keep go coming nine deep. and coming but you know the Cavs have the Cavs have holes and and that, and that like. That's why, in a weird sort of way, I tend to agree with you that the Sixers match up better with the Cavs because I think the Sixers also have have holes like it, like uh, they're not deep. No, I think they yeah. have the most talent yeah. in the starting five. Uh huh. But I don't think they can go if Embiid gets in foul trouble. Like, yeah. Sorry, you're out of luck. You better hope Ben yeah. Simmons and Reddick throw up ridiculous numbers. Yeah, I think. I think a fundamentally sound team like the Celtics shows the Sixers immaturity but and lack of depth and all that but that might not be against the problem with the Cavs who every every LeBron team always seems to have this weird they can they can go into not meltdown but the ceiling the, the basement can be really really low for those teams and it's a problem if you're running Kevin Love at the center position against Joel Embiid that can't happen in the finals no we gotta go and we still didn't talk about the thing that we were really gonna talk about we'll do more of these as uh, the NBA playoffs progress thank you Andrew Gruse thank you and thank you everyone for listening Thank you.